Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today is Dr. Vincent Nguyen from Hogue Hospital. And Dr. Nguyen is involved in palliative care. And we're here today to talk about not only the white mass, but what it means to this profession. But before we get started, Doctor, first of all, welcome. Thank you very much, Rick, for having me here. And if you would be so kind as to lead us in a word of prayer, I think we would all be very appreciative. Absolutely. Let's start. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord, thank you for another beautiful day, and thank you for another opportunity to praise you. We ask that you open our eyes so that we may see you, open our ears so that we may hear you, open our hearts so that we can love you through our interactions today with the people that we meet, giving us another opportunity to love you and to serve you and in the end glorify you by our lives. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, before we go too far. We, you and I were discussing before we had the, the, before we went on the air today that you don't just deal with death and dying. No. With palliative care, you've got something. Else. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, you take the people who've been given a bad diagnosis and you help lead them through to the end through their death and dying process. But that's not exactly what you do by a long shot. Well, it is what we do, but a very it's a small segment of what we do. So in my field of palliative medicine, it is a medical specialty that focuses on caring for people who are living with serious illness. So they don't necessarily have to be in the active face of their dying process because we are all dying. But yeah. some of us do live through serious illness that affects us not just only physically, but also emotionally, psychologically and spiritually. So how, how and what can we do to provide the best care for people living with serious illness? And as doctors and nurses, we're in the medical field to help people live long and live well. But the thing that we can't do is give people immortality. And oftentimes people think that, hey, you just pick, put peoples on tubes and hook them in machines and give lots of IV drips to keep their heart pumping and keep their lungs flowing with oxygen is a way of living. But perhaps it's not. Just so we understand that when people are at the end of life, they continue to need the care that's required, that means give them the best care possible at that time, even even though there's cure, so we still can care for these people. Now, when we've had you on before, we've talked about physician-assisted suicide, which is now legal in many parts of the country, including here in California. Yes. From a Catholic perspective, really from a natural law perspective, what's wrong with physician-assisted suicide? Isn't it an easier way out Unfortunately, it is an easier way out from what we see. The way that I do see this is it's based upon the Institute of Medicine. It published a report on death and dying in America in 2014. You know, the summary was basically very simple. Is that, you know, the way that we care for people at the, the end of life 
is seriously lacking. You know, people are dying with physically, their pain and symptoms are not well managed. Their emotional and psychological needs are not met, and their spiritual pieces, <laughs> good luck, right? So we see yeah. that it's just a completely different. I mean, we can't barely take care of people's physical ailment and their symptoms. And so at the end of life, instead of focusing on improving that, seeing that what we're lacking, we decided to throw away the baby with the bath water and say, you know what, since we can't do it, let's just take care of, let's just get rid of the people who are suffering rather than really taking care of the symptoms and the ailments that's causing their suffering. Okay. I've had a friend of mine who has gone through a fairly long period of cancer treatment, and you've been involved with him, and he just passed. Yes. Hank Evers. And for those of you who are listening, Hank was for a time over this program. He was in charge of communications, but he kind of did a, a lot of everything around here in the Diocese of Orange. Very, very faithful man. And he opted not for a physician-assisted suicide. You can't tell me a whole lot about his actual case, but for someone like him going through what's going on, what would it be like? What would the process be? Because physician-assisted suicide, you get the deadly pill and you have your party and you're, you're, then you're done. Yeah. So what would it be like for someone like a Hank, who we thank God for his ministry, we thank God for his witness, but did he have a happy death? Hank died a holy death, and I'm privileged to have been asked to involve in, in, in Hank's case in the last um, three, four weeks of his life. He belonged to another health system. I work at Hogue as the palliative medicine palliative physician um, overseeing the program there. But Hank was with Kaiser. Okay. And so Kaiser, I, I had a few friends there, and then I said, can I come in to visit Hank? And before long, I got to know the doctors, and I got to know Hank's situation. And they asked, So you weren't officially his doctor, but no. you got to be involved with his case a so, little bit. Yes, yeah, so I was very appreciative of the Kaiser physicians to allow me to come in and and be a part of Hank's journey and got him home and care for him there. I can tell you, Hank is a man of God. And I remember as I walked into the campus this morning, all I could think about was Hank because he's part of the Orange Catholic Foundation before, and I was part of the member there. And I, he always feel, you know, he always makes me feel like a VIP when I get there. I say, Hank, I have a few <laughs> friends. Can you take us to the Tower of Hope and take us to the chapel in the yeah. sky? And, Maybe take us in to see the bishop's office and see me sit in his chair or something. Oh, Bishop Van's listening. <laughs> I did not sit in your chair, but I did see your office. <laughs> but it, but he'd also been a, a very holy man. He, his his proudest moment is, like, hey, Vincent, look at this little closet that we transform into a little chapel. And so we can have the daily sacrament there. And, and, and I really believe that people die the way they live. And so... Hank is a faithful man. He's a wonderful Catholic, and and we talk about holy death in his in his suffering, whatever that may be. He just bring that up to God, and he said, "Okay, for prayer, for, I'm praying for you, Vincent. I'm praying for the world. I'm praying for those who are suffering." My goodness, because sometimes when we're sick, we just drawn into ourselves. Yeah. Woe is me! Why is this happening to me? Where is God? Yeah. But here's the man. It's just like I'm just joyful in my suffering and I'm just going to give it all to other people and give it to God. Oh my gosh. And, and what a, what a blessing to our diocese. What a blessing for all of us who have ever met Hank. 
and uh, and we pray for his family and and his children and and all those who ever met him and 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 he's in heaven looking down and praying for us. I have no doubt about that for Hank. This was a man who um, I got to know first before he ever took over as one of my bosses. Um, I would when I when I'm here. I will try to get to the, the 12 o'clock mass, which is on the 13th floor here, looks out all over the, the Orange County, and he was always one of the lectors. He was always one of the ones who was there ready to, to read. Great voice, great dedication, and he really proclaimed the Word of God well. My question kind of goes that next step, then. He suffered, but yet was it worth it when you can have physician-assisted suicide? And I don't want to make this all about physician-assisted sure. suicide, but I, I, I think you probably have some thoughts on this. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, you know, physician-assisted suicide is, is, is certainly an easier way out. It's saying, like, I'm done with suffering. Why am I suffering? I'm just going to end it. And, you know, it's I'm doing this mainly to not only for myself, but so I can be a less of a burden on my loved ones mm-hmm. so they don't have to care for me because I, I don't want to be a burden on them. That's the argument. And, and you know, the, the way that I see this, though, is that when we care for someone, we want to be able to provide that love and attention. And I usually tell my patients, look, you love your children. And, and perhaps this is a way for your children to give you back and to repay your love for them. And, and instead of taking that opportunity away from them to care for you, give them the opportunity. And if their fear is is of abandonment, and their fear is, look, I'm gonna, I, I don't want to suffer too much, and I'm having so much pain, I'd rather die. I can tell you, look, we have lots of medications that yeah. can help you. Our intention, of course, is what we do in palliative medicine is not about ending someone's life to give them lots and lots of medication, but we titrate the medication proportionately to what the pain and symptom is. And part of my training in, in, in caring for patients and and training UCI fellows who are rounding with us is to help them understand that. Say, look, we can we can push the gas when we push the pedal when we have to to increase the pain, but our intention is to never end someone's life. Whereas assisted suicide is more of that. So when we're looking at pain and suffering, God uses that to shape us, to prune us, to guide us. And as you pointed out, not just us, but the pain that we go through sometimes becomes evocative to the people who care for us, mm-hmm. our relatives, our children, our spouses. And there is a reckoning that we have with our own humanity sometimes when we allow ourselves to not be in charge of, I'm not the one that pulls the trigger. Mm-hmm. I'm the one who embraces your will, God. Yeah, and that's the beauty of our Catholic teaching about, you know, we talk about offering up. And the way that I, my perspective offering up is that, you know, we see things from outside looking in, not from our own lenses, but from where God would see this, is that God doesn't waste anything, right? This is yeah. an opportunity for us to become holy, but to also gives us this opportunity to be introspective and to recognize how blessed we are. And how we get to utilize our suffering and unite, unite that with the suffering of our Lord. And as I reflect upon this, in terms of suffering, many people think that, well, why did God create suffering? And we start realizing that God did, 
God did not create yeah, that's suffering, a right? Very good observation. <laughs> yeah, so suffering, I don't, you know, suffering, as we know, is never was God's intention, was never his providential plan. It was something along a line that we fail through sinning. And this is why I said, I'm going to send my son to, to come down here to suffer. And so how do we get to unite that? So we offer that up and, and how beautiful that is. So it's not wasted. It's something that gets to be transformed for not for only for us, but for the world, for other people who are suffering. There's something that a lot of non-Catholics, I think, don't quite get about suffering, but our world was meant to be a world of love, and when we abuse that and destroy elements of it and create lack, create pain, create suffering, there is the ability to share that burden one human being to another, since we're all part of one family, which was part of the point of Christ taking on all that you could give him. Mm-hmm. He was overcome by it momentarily, <laughs> about three days worth mm-hmm. sweat and blood and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it was all that could be thrown at him from the, that a human being really could take and couldn't take. And yet it was bring it on. And I'll show you, I can overcome this too. And there is something cathartic about being able to unite with that faithfulness through the suffering, not instead of the suffering. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I know that you, you do well. We're going to take a break here in just a moment because we're actually here to talk about the white mass and what it means to physicians. But I wanted to make sure we clarified this, that your job is not just to help people die. Your job is to help people live even while they may be facing death. Exactly. And, and when they live with a serious illness. And even when we talk about hospice, and hospice is not about death either, because the way that hospice is defined, it's a community of people who care for those people who are living with a eternal illness, but it's really focusing on their quality of life, make it the best whatever time it is left for them. And that's what hospice is about. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about what it has been like to go through this last year and why a mass like this is so important. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Dr. Vincent Nguyen from Hogue Hospital Systems, and we will be right back. Hello, this is Father Al Baca from the Diocese of Orange alongside with Katie Dawson. We have a very special event coming up in October, the Diocesan Ministries Celebration on Saturday, October 16th. This is going to be an event you will not want to miss. This fall, dynamic speaker Chris Stefanik will be with us here at Christ Cathedral. My brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm so looking forward to coming to the Diocese of Orange for the celebration this year on October 16th. Listen, I've traveled all around the world and I've had the blessing as so many problems hit the church and hit society of being reminded constantly everywhere I go that people are still hungry for God, that we can't escape the fact that our hearts are made for God, and that we have in Jesus Christ the best news mankind has ever received. So we're going to talk about how to share that news with everybody you know. I cannot wait just to celebrate with you and to be sent forth with you to share the good news of a father who loves us, a son who saves us, and the Holy Spirit who empowers us. God bless you. I'll see you October 16th. Come one, come all. We're going to be in person. We're letting you know now so you can get it on your calendar. Look for more details at dmc2021.org. That's dmc2021.org. Looking forward to seeing you October 16th. 
Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Dr. Vincent Nguyen, who is the head of palliative care for Hogue. What's the actual title you have? We were talking about this earlier. Yeah. You're the... I'm the program medical director. The program medical director and... In palliative medicine. And palliative medicine, again, is not about helping someone die, but it's about empowering someone who may be facing death, how they live and how to better empower that living. You've had a trying year and a half as a, mm-hmm. as both a, an individual physician and uh, as representative of your field. This whole virus has been tremendously taxing for everybody. But you were talking in the last segment about how important it is to you as a physician Help empower people to die with dignity, to live their last moments with dignity, to live their last months and, and weeks with and years. Yeah. And years. So it has to be tremendously frustrating to have gone through a year ago when all the, the hospitals were shut up. People that would go in for COVID never came out. They never got to say goodbye to relatives. They never got to have that emotional care. And in some cases, that spiritual care. What has this year been like for you as a Catholic? I can share with you one word that pops in my mind or my head right now is grief. (laughs) Yeah, so grief is just one of those physiological, emotional, physical response when there is a loss of, you know, not just necessarily a loss of life, but loss in the freedom to do what we used to do. Loss of relationships, you know, things that have to be postponed. But when we talk about this past year, I just reflect upon the field of medicine and for all my colleagues and not just physicians, but all the healthcare professionals and healthcare workers out there. It can be very isolating, very challenging, and and somewhat burdensome, you might say. Burdensome here is the emotional burden that that, that tackles us, that taxes us. And yes, we do see a lot of suffering. We do see people who have COVID and they're not allowed to, you know, who are dying on the ventilator and there's no family that are able to come in to see them because of the segregation or the, the separation from to, to keep people safe. And, the, and we often have to tell, you know, their loved one by phone that, yes, your loved one's dying and today we're going to be removing the ventilator because it's no longer effective. It's, you know, they've been on this for a long time and they're failing. And it's, you know, it's, it takes its toll on us emotionally. And, and for the nurses who are there, boy, you know, it's not unusual. We find people in the corner crying, yeah. you know, professionals crying because we care. I mean, this yeah. is a caring profession and, and, and uh, it's been extremely stressful. And I'm just so grateful for the white mass and for us to be able to come back and have some, a little bit of, of normalcy, you might say. I can see that this is so critical. And I just love what a church has, you know, to have something like a white mass. The white mass is all about the entire profession. It's about trying to celebrate before God the great gift of medicine. And we've had one of the most poignant examples from this last year and a half in how we've had a medical profession step up and be the the heroes in the trenches, so to speak. And yet now we have a a number of them um, in some places where they're being compelled to have the vaccine, and many of them are opting not to. I think in New York yesterday there was one company that fired 17,000 of their employees 
for that. Let me ask just a, a couple of general questions. I take it you've you've had the vaccine, is that correct? Yes, I okay. did. Okay. And I take it you're in favor of everyone getting the vaccine? I'm in favor of doing the right thing for patients and family because for the field of medical professionals, we deal with this and we see that people do suffer. You know, for many people, you know, they may have the COVID infection and it may be something as simple as a flu. But for those who really have the full blown, you know, we see we witness this and we feel that, you know, for the, the right thing to do is for people to become vaccinated. Well, at the same time, I understand there are reasons why people don't want to do this for personal and for religious reason. And I, I, I get that. Our bishops have come out and said that, while yes, there is a moral issue that's here. Yes, there was the involvement of fetal stem cells in the testing process for these drugs. The ones that are available in the United States, that testing process took place after the development of the actual vaccines, which means that the vaccines themselves did not involve fetal tissue. Am I right so far on... on, and what I'm remembering. So far, so good. Okay. And so because of that, even though later when they did testing, they tested on some fetal tissue stem cell lines, that the moral culpability is so remote that Catholics, while they may grieve for the use and abuse of human stem cells from human fetuses, from human babies that have been uh, sacrificed for those testing processes inappropriately, they should not have been done. The remoteness of it means that we're not the ones that are culpable for that. And it doesn't poison, so to speak, the vaccine. Yeah. And in the Vatican, I think Pope Francis did come out with a statement as well. Well, I know we've had the bishops in here from this diocese Mm -hmm. originally, and the Vatican has come out and said it. But yet we still have people who can't get quite past that. And it might actually be almost more emotional than it is, I mean, people who have been very strong advocates of the pro-life movement, I think, have an emotional difficulty with the vaccines Mm -hmm. just in general. Yeah, God bless them, because I I see what their perspective. So they genuinely, in in your opinion, even though you would wish from a medical perspective they would have the vaccine, you can understand why they might not want to do it. I do, I do. But when we, because I get to see things through my own lens and I try to see other people's perspective, but when we see people dying in the hospital on ventilators and suffering emotionally and, and, you know, you don't get a chance. I remember when we're in the midst of the crisis earlier this year, around March, I mean, that was the peak. I mean, we had family members standing at the, you know, they, you know, we're working at Hogue and you can't go in the hospital. I see families floating balloons up to, I think grandma's on eighth floor. <laughs> so I try to fly, you know, fly up balloons up there and just see that, you know, the balloon can wave by and wish her happy birthday or yeah. so. And just the, the, the grief and the, and the pain, the sorrows. And we witnessed this. And so and I'm going to go back and talk about because the white mass is how, how that is so important yeah. for us. Because it's it's a way of for for us healthcare professionals. Well, this is a way of also putting those stem cells on the altar as well. Absolutely. For those who who like myself, I've been vaccinated, mm-hmm. and I've got some friends who I, I I don't think they look askance at me exactly, but I think they're a little disappointed I did. <laughs> but I, I took it from the perspective that again the bishops are right; it's remote, and. I can still put those stem cells, the, the babies, on the altar as well. Yes. 
Yes. Which is where this the white mass helps you do that. Yeah, and the, and I think it's more important than ever to for us to utilize this opportunity for us to gather, to gather as healthcare professionals, to really to you know, under the patronage of, of Saint Luke, and to ask God for His blessings for us as medical professionals and for our patients and and also for the work that we do, so that we can true, truly remain focused on, on why we are here and why we do what we do. And one of the wonderful things about having a mass like that, as you just alluded to, there's a almost a camaraderie that becomes even deeper than friendship. We are one family. Mm-hmm. And the professionals that are gathered together, this is one more reminder. We're not in this alone. No. You, crying in the corner is is common and understood, but you can also cry on my shoulder because I'm, I'm really, in a way, one with you. Mm-hmm. I, I may not be you, but you're my sister, you're my brother, you're my family member. Yeah. The white mass helps us remind each other of that. It does. It, it reminds us that you know we are not as whole as we think we are. We are the. I always see this. It's like we're the walking wounded. <laughs> you know, it's like the patriotic America. When you see the. You know, where where the guy's playing the drum and, and, and the yeah. flute and, yeah. you know, the, remember those patriotic days? Yeah, like, yeah Spirit yeah, of 76. There yeah, you go. that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I remember. It's just like you're walking through. It's like we are the walking wounded, but we got to keep walking with each other and supporting everybody through. It's also a reminder that it's it's in the end, while we are giving great care, it's God's ministry. It's not ours. We're simply doing God's will in this. It's his ministry, and we thank you, God, for helping us to, to do better and better at it. Absolutely. And, and even though, you know, we, we think of our calling as our cho- our chosen profession, it's really, you know, I, I reflect upon the fact that, you know, how stressful it was when I started applying to medical school. Will I make it? Will any school want me? <laughs> you know, if I do get in, will I pass through medical school? Will I be successful in my internship and residency? Will I become a good doctor? Da, 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 da. Now you look back and go, why did I worry so much about it? You know, (laughs) God has that plan for me, but it's okay to be nervous. It's important to, to realize that, you know, what, how privileged we are to do what we do and to share in other people's, you know, pain and sorrow. And how do we make that better? How do we journey with them? Let them know that they're loved, they're wanted, and, and they're worthy of of care. And it also reminds us too that how important it is for us to have our spirits nourished so that we can continue this work. Because there's a lot more to, to be done. I mean, right now we're seeing signs, hopeful signs of some waning again. We've had some of this waxing and waning of this virus. Mm-hmm. We're seeing waning again. And then we've got other treatments coming along, monoclonal antibodies and things that offer new hope. This all is to be lifted up in the mass. Absolutely. The horizon of hope is, is always there. I mean, we are, we are a people of hope for how beautiful it is for us to have this opportunity. The Catholic mass and the white mass that is specific for our um, medical profession is always done in the context of our community. And our community has been struggling most recently, of course, with the virus that we've been dealing with for the last uh, two years or so. But our society has so many other issues that are presenting themselves. When we come back, I want to ask you a, a couple more questions. We already touched on one, and that was on physician-assisted suicide. We, of course, are also a society that has, in the last really 20 years, uh, we've gone from abortion being something that has 
the, the mantra that the side that that uh, was in favor of abortion said it should be safe, legal, but rare. Mm-hmm. To now they're celebrating their abortions, and the, the, something's got off the tracks tremendously yeah. in our mm-hmm. in our society of of death, our culture of death, as John Paul put it. When we come back, I want to ask you as a physician, not just does this get you down? I'm sure it must at times. But what is the plan from your perspective? How do Catholics confront this? Mm -hmm. When we come back, I'm going to raise that. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Dr. Vincent Nguyen, who is uh, from Hogue. And his specialty, in fact, he's in charge of, for the whole Hogue hospital system, palliative care, which means that he encounters people who are confronting very difficult times in their life, including the possibility of death. And his job is to help make them help empower them to embrace a deeper life in the time that they have. So when we come back, I want to ask some of those questions about, okay, but what about our society? And what does this do? And how does the white mass figure into that? You're listening to Kind of Catholic Radio, and we will be right back. Here's a word of reflection from Christ Cathedral organist and host of Sounds from the Sanctuary, David Ball. In St. Louis, there used to be these sort of clubs for Eucharistic adoration. It was really people watching the church all night. Each person would take an hour with the Blessed Sacrament exposed. My parents, we we used to do this a couple times. And so I remember going to St. Gabriel, the Archangel in South St. Louis. It would be one in the morning and you'd knock on the door and the one person who was scheduled for that hour would come out, look through a little peephole, let you in. And then you'd lock yourself in the church for an hour of stillness and meditation and prayer and whatever. And as a kid, it was interesting. It just introduced the idea of stillness to me at a young age. For more, come find us at spiritfilledmedia.org. That's spiritfilledmedia.org. Spirit-Filled Radio is in partnership with the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange in Southern California. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope on the beautiful campus of Christ Cathedral, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Dr. Vincent Nguyen from Hogue Hospitals, and his specialty has is about really assisting people who are going through some of the most difficult times in their lives, sometimes toward the end of their lives, but how to embrace it more fully, completely, and with dignity. Thank you, Rick, for having me here. And one of the things we've been talking about uh, has been the culture of death. We have a society now that seems to be so hyper engaged in promoting this culture of death. Uh, so, so many elements of it anyway. And then we have people on the other side who have risen to the occasion, but it's almost as if we've escalated as we moved up. So that our our Catholics are looking at the people who are shouting, celebrate your abortions, and it, it boggles our mind. What are you talking about? If we're talking about a human being, when does life begin? I mean, our, our, our president, without going into to politics, at one point not that long ago uh, said that he disagreed with people who said that it begins at conception. But I'm sorry, at fertilization you have... 
at that very moment, the first time that the the two halves of a of a genetic system have formed one complete unique whole that will continue now to replicate itself, never create a, a new version of itself, and will last if you if it goes uninterrupted as a full human being for the next seventy, ninety, one hundred and ten years. I think life begins there. <laughs> I, I share in your in that belief because you know people often think you know that's just a clump of cells. But There's nothing religious about that belief either, is it? No. I mean, that clump of cell is We even is a have those in, in, in medical textbooks when we trade doctors that this blastocyst is the beginning of human life. <laughs> yeah. But, but there are those who out there who want to change the, really change the summary or change the, the, the story of how things evolve. I, I think we see that in our society because, you know, instead of embracing the history as it is, let's just erase it because we don't want to think about it. And and it's not just when you because when you mentioned about you know we're a society of death but I or or you thought about you know we mentioned about our late beloved um, Saint Pope John Paul II he utilized the, the the language in terms of we are a throwaway society yeah. right not just throwaways plastics and so but we throw away things that we don't need the older people people who are sick and frail we don't need them but here's this child in a mother's womb that like, we don't need them it's just because it, it's just inconvenient because i have to proceed with my life for whatever reason we think about ourselves and we don't think about the the consequences of our actions and 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 in our society it's so crucial to where where the morality becomes more of a you know it's not it's what is that word i'm trying to say it it's it's relevant it's relative right so we've gone from having a morality based on something outside of us, namely God, to something inside of us, namely selfishness. And I'll be happy to have a baby as long as it's convenient for me. But if it's not, well, the baby is so small and hidden, no one needs to know. And I can get away with this. And my society is not telling me no anymore. And the law is not telling me no anymore. And... I can get rid of it and think of it as just a lump of tissue, but that is all thrown out if two things take place. One, we recognize the natural law of it all, that this is not a clump of tissue. This is actually a brand new human being from its earliest stages, but a human being. And number two, there is a God and God has blessed the holiness of, of every human being. Absolutely. And one of the things I love about our Archbishop Cordelon up in San Francisco this past week. We're all praying for Nancy, yes. Yeah, for praying for, <laughs> for our Senator Nancy Pelosi. Uh, Congresswoman. She's Con actually, oh, she's, sorry, she, Congresswoman. No, that's fine. But she's the head of, of Congress right now. Yes, yes, she is. And I, but that's what I love about it because, you know, there are times in which should we, should the church excommunicate these people? But it said, hey, let's do the loving thing. Let's pray for these people. Yeah. And that's what we're called to be as Catholics. Well, that's, people don't get this about excommunication. Mm -hmm. It's not meant to be a punishment. And that's why it, it really irked me when people were talking about, oh, let's make it political and, and, and kick people out of the church. Excommunication is an acknowledgement that you're hurting yourself. Would you please stop hurting yourself so you can come back to communion? Mm -hmm. It's an invitation to come back because it's a recognition you're outside of the will of Christ and you're in a state of, of mortal sin. Your soul is in danger. And in fact, when we look at like first Corinthians 11, where it talks about you can hurt your soul even more by taking Holy communion when you're in a state of mortal sin to declare someone 
who is in a state of of manifest, meaning out there, public sin, to say you should not present yourself for communion is doing them a favor. Mm-hmm. And people don't realize that. Because yeah. it's all about the love, which is why when, when Archbishop Cordeliotti said, hey, let's pray for, for the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was a great gift to her. Instead of smacking her upside the head, it was, hey, we love you. We may disagree with you profoundly on a number of issues, but we love you. We want your soul to yeah, we, go to heaven, too. And then we care for the whole person, right? We just care for them, just not just physically, but also for them spiritually. Because, you know, we, I often see that the, the spirituality of a person is not well-nourished. And when I say about as physicians, it's important for us to have that balance. But it's also we, because we, don't, we can't give what we don't have. And so it's critical that, you know, as you know, leaders, physicians, lawyers, politicians, heads of the household, it's important to have that balance of both caring for, for, for our loved ones. We were talking before, the, during the break, actually, a little bit about a key difference in philosophy of care that the Catholic Church has embraced very with a lot more definition lately called whole person care. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, the whole person care initiative is is a um, initiative by the California Conference of, of Bishops and the Alliance of Health of, of Catholic Healthcare, which really is the church and the healthcare system, the Catholic healthcare system, coming together and look at the way we care for people who are living with serious illness, and it's based upon the the Institute of, of uh, Medicine when it published that 2014 report on death and dying. Is that, you know, when people are not well cared for, they may opt for something that's quick and easy, quote unquote, so that they can die with dignity. So when the church and the Catholic healthcare system is looking at this, they're saying, look, we, we can do a better job. How do we make sure that our Catholic hospitals and, and nursing homes and so forth have, have palliative care, have a way to caring for people or seriously ill? Walk with his family, walk with the patient, let them know that they're loved. And from the church's perspective is, how do we come together as a community? How do parishes and how do the, how do the diocese come together and, and, and care for people within our congregation, within our parishes who are alone, who do not have the support that they need because isolation alone is just a terrible place to be. And without caring for these folks, they're going to opt to do something that that may they may regret for the for eternity, you yeah. might say. Well, and that's the other thing we were talking about earlier is that, as you said, nothing is wasted. Suffering is not wasted. One of the things that happens when, okay, I remember when I was a child when you get scolded, you hated being scolded, you hated being caught. Mm-hmm. But when you're sitting at the quarter, you're 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 thinking about it. You do think about it. And without necessarily calling it punishment, because it's the wrong motive, wrong image to use. But nevertheless, suffering kind of functions in a similar way. It causes us to strip away all of our trappings, whether we were rich or poor, whether we have been powerful or not. We're human beings at that point, and we have bodily functions, and we're now standing before God with the struggles of both a diagnosis that can be scary and bodily functions that are not working the way we would like them to, along with discomfort that we're trying to manage. Mm-hmm. And it it has to cause us to pause and ask, Lord, what's this all about? 
which if we take the easier route and cut it short with physician-assisted suicide, we never have that opportunity to ask God with that last little writ of script, you know, what's what's the message for me you have for me, Lord? Mm -hmm. We deny God that ability to do it because we have free will. As you said, we deny our family the ability to care, which might be very good for them. They may need to do that. It's wrong on so many levels, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's wrong. It, it, it also impedes the, the, the wholeness of caring because when we are at the end stage of our life, it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be bad, but it's also an opportunity for growth, for spiritual growth, for emotional growth. It's also about leaving a legacy. If we start thinking about, you know, one of our, we think of our loved one who has died and we were there, we were, you know, we remember vividly what transpired. And if that person died badly, it'll stick with it in our mind. But if the person dies a holy death, it still sticks in our mind. So we were talking earlier about Hank Evers. Yeah. Just as an example, here's a man who was joyful to the end, even though, yeah, he still had some discomfort. You, I'm sure, managed very well, but he still had discomfort. Yet, as you were saying, hey, let's lift this up. Who am I praying for today? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, there is that opportunity for, for us to to make things whole and um, an opportunity to leave that legacy for our loved one, because they look at that. They learn from us. They learn from the dying because the dying are our teachers. Right. If you take you embrace our, our living and our life and whatever left of our, our life and embrace it wholly, boy, you're leaving that legacy to the rest of your family. And leaving that means, look, I, I'm, I know I'm going to die. But let me spend these whatever time I have left to prioritize. I'm prioritizing what's important to me. Let me tell you what's important to me. Let me do things that I that needs to be done. And let me tell you how much I love you. And let me tell you how much I appreciate you. And by the way, I'm not a perfect person. Please forgive me for these things that I've done. And I forgive you too. And when that's all said and done, it's time to say, it's okay to say goodbye when it's time. And that's the healing process. And that, that's the healing process in, in, the, in the wonderful world of medicine and caring for the whole person, caring for them physically, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. And the legacy com- continues long after the person dies. It certainly clarifies the bucket list. It, it isn't about going to Hawaii or one last time or one more whatever. It comes to about how do I use this time with God and with my family and with my friends mm-hmm. and the people who I want to give a little bit of my love to in the time I have left. Mm-hmm. Wow. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today is uh, Dr. Vincent Nien, who has been talking to us in this particular section about whole person care, which is a, a very Catholic way of looking at how to go about doing this type of medicine. But we've also been talking really and focusing on the white mass. When we come back, I want to talk about both how this is a great way for us to honor people, but the mass is not really an honoring ceremony. It's about the unity and how this is also a way to remind all the rest of us about the great value all of us contribute, but in this case, starting with our medical profession. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio, and we will be right back.
we learn so many extraordinary insights each and every day on Spirit-Filled Radio. Listen to these words from Sister Kit Gray, a recent guest of Father Christopher Smith on the Cathedral Square Radio Show, talking about the year of St. Joseph. Pope Francis's reflection on the quality of Joseph, again, of being this worker in the background. And he talks about our renewed appreciation for people who do the everyday, keep the place running kinds of jobs. He says, how many people daily exercise patience and offer hope. Doctors, nurses, storekeepers, supermarket workers, cleaning personnel, caregivers, transport workers, men and women working to provide essential services and public safety. His point is, we can look to St. Joseph. And we can see in these people some of the virtues of St. Joseph. That's so beautiful and so timely. Yeah. Because many of those professions that Francis mentioned are not ones that we would normally highlight. No. And yet they are essential and needed. And to, in some ways, kind of give them an increased dignity on one hand and also a patron to look toward. For more, come find us at spiritfilledmedia.org. Spirit-Filled Radio is in partnership with the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange in Southern California. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today has been, and before we go any further, I want to make sure I thank very profusely, Dr. Vincent Nguyen, who is from Hogue Hospital and taking time this morning to, to talk about the meaning of the White Mass and how as a Catholic physician involved with people who are confronting some of the most critical moments of their lives, what it means as a Catholic physician to practice this visit, this profession. Mm -hmm. And I want to thank you very much for being here. Thank you, doctor. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. You know, this is a healing profession and it's your particular end of it. We've talked about how it's an empowering time, but in the end, so many of your patients the way that you terminate the relationship is that the relationship terminates many that will pass on mm-hmm. your goal is to help them pass on with, with dignity and with uh, fullness of life all the way to the end. But nevertheless, this is still about healing. How do you square that? The medical profession ranges everywhere from expecting a child and with, with our OBGYN physicians and, and for physicians to, who are caring for people near the end of life, like geriatricians and palliative medicine and, and hospice. And there's everything in between because we are a profession of healing, utilizing the gift that God has given us because we are so privileged to do this work. And we forget at times for those who have been in practice for a long time, it's just more like, oh, okay, this is part of what I do. But the spirituality may not be part of it because, hey, I, I'm, you know, we're, I'm on cruise control Having the white mass really gives us that pause for us to reflect and come together as healthcare professionals to reflect upon the gifts in which we have and to thank God for that and then for him to bless our work, bless us and bless our patient and to be spiritually nourished. And also it's, it's about the, the collegiality of coming together as you know, physicians, nurses, healthcare professionals coming together to do this work together. The time that we had during the break, we mentioned that you had just come back from Europe not that long ago, and you one of the things you did there, very importantly, was to visit 
lords. Here you are, a scientist. <laughs> what are you doing messing with miracles? Well, I'm invested in the Order of Malta, and this is part of our charism uh, is to care for the poor. Order of this, Malta. Like, I've heard very good things about those people. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a couple we, of you doctors that are involved in that. Yeah. Yeah. So we um, just got back from Lourdes. We spent eight days there with nearly 50 Malads and, and about 350 people. I can tell you that eight days was one of the one of a beautiful, restful, spiritually nourishing part of my my um, of my life, and especially during this time, I got a privilege of bringing my daughter Ashley, and and she came back and she wrote me a beautiful card, and she said, "Dad, in all our visits and all our trips, this was the best trip of my life, and I want to go back and do it again." <laughs> and, um, and I said, "Why?" You know, and I I was so grateful for that, and I said, "Why do you want to do this?" And she said, "Look, I got to." go outside of myself to serve, to recognize how blessed I am, how blessed we are, and to have the opportunity to serve. And that eight days, I was able to step outside of my own little world and to serve. For a dad, you, you know, what better lesson, how, what better way of teaching our child, yeah. our children, say, hey, it's not about you. It's about how I care for yeah. other people. Yeah. And that's a wonderful blessing. And, and we were there, you know, with the Orders of Malta, with the Knights, Dames, the Provisionals, and lots and lots of volunteers and one of the things we did there, of course, is bring back the Lord's water. And um, I, this was my fifth trip to Lord's, but the second time with the order. And so I've been preparing to, to get the water back, a little, buying a little flask, and I was able to give them to my patients. And for those who are, I, who I, you know, in, in my interview with them, and I sense that there's some spirituality, I asked, I said, you know, where do you draw your strength from? And, and they go, well, I believe in God. And I ask him, what, you know, are there any particular spirituality? What flavor? flavor? <laughs> and they said, they're Catholic. I said, oh, wonderful. And say, so, well, tell me about your faith. And, you know, in, in your, you know, when you go through this distressing full time of your life, what gives you strength? They said, my, you know, my God. And, Mother Mary, and he said, and, and, and I'll keep that in mind. The next time I visit them, I said, Hey, I have a, a gift for you from Lords. And this is where people become emotionally cry. And one of the stories that just recently I had a patient who is um, a non believer, you might say, he's a Jewish man who is a total atheist. Okay. And he, and he says, You know, when it's my time to die, Doc, I want you to help me die, but I want assisted suicide. And I said, I said to him, look, I, I will care for you. I will do everything I can to help you through your, through the end of your life. But you know, you're still going through treatment for your pancreatic cancer. We're going to help you through this. But when it gets there, when, you know, I, I will not let you suffer. But he said, that's fine, doc. So he found two other doctors and who, who said that he will prescribe. Someone will write the deadly prescription. Yeah, prescription. And, and I, and I thought to myself, oh boy. So when I was at Lord's, I, I offered him up and I said, you know, I want to pray for my patients who are seeking assisted suicide. How do I care for these, for these people so that they, they're, they, they don't have to, to take this route. And so I came back and I visited him because at this time he just came on, went on hospice. And I, at the end of my day, and I just drove there and I said, Hey, you just coming by and see how you're doing. And he said to me, I heard you just came back from, from a trip. I said, I did. I bought your gift. And I, I gave him the, the, the wire from Lords and his girlfriend is Catholic. Wow. And uh, and she said, then you know anything about Lords? And she starts crying. Said, yes, I know. I read about it and always wanted to go there. And he goes, what's that? And so I told him the story about Bernadette, how Our Lady appeared to her. And, and she told her to wash, to, to do your confession and, and, and to drink. And he was so moved. And he said, can you bless me? Wow. So I used the Lord's water and I, I put her sign of cross in his forehead. And I said, I pray that you will discover the God 
that you do not know yet or you're searching and looking, it may he open your eyes, your ears, and your heart to discover. May God give you is. a baptism of desire. Yeah. That was about two weeks ago. And um, over the weekend, I visited him, and he was increasingly frail. And his girlfriend was there, and she said, you know, your visit from two weeks ago changed his life. And the, the bottle of Lord's water that you give him is his most prized possession. And so I came in to see him. He was so happy to see me. He said, hey, Doc, can you give me another blessing? And I did. And you know, whatever it is and how the Spirit moves us and how God is utilizing us to minister to others. And, and we are really the hands, the, the eyes, the heart of God. And, and when we come and touch these, these folks... And I'm also, one of my favorite quotes is from St. Teresa of Avila, and this was shared with me by, by the Carmelite sisters. Yeah. And he said, you know, when you walk into the patient's room, see that as another chapel. When you look at the bed, see that as an altar. And the person laying in the bed, your patient, is really another Christ. And so it just transforms the way that we care for people, transform that just, oh, yeah, that, that's another pancreatic cancer in room 814. Right. But it's more like there's a living God this in those people. This is a person that's there. Mm -hmm. This has been a tremendous hour, uh, and I appreciate very much. I want to remind our listening audience that if you can't go to a white mass, that at your regular mass, lift up our holy medical professionals. I say holy because they're blessed by God. Some of them may be struggling with their relationship with God, I'm sure. You've got many friends. I'm sure you have your struggles, too. But our listening audience, please lift up in prayer our medical professionals who are on the front line, as we like to say, but who are also on the front line with God, who are his hands and feet, and often his heart as well and soul. Doctor, thank you so very, very much for coming in and talking about healing and how the Catholic faith and the white mass is so important to you and to all the medical professionals who are Catholic. Would you please lead us in a word of prayer? Yes. Dear Lord, thank you for this hour of living in your grace and to be able to express from our heart and our mind how wonderful you are, how we are so wonderfully made, and we're created to serve you and others. May we continue to have the humility to serve and to be grateful for the gifts that we have. And we ask you to be with us through our day and walk with that joy, knowing that no matter what happens, you are there with us. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Well, one more time, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Nguyen, for coming in. You are listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today has been... Dr. Vincent Nguyen from Hoke Hospital. And if you like this broadcast, and this it was a very powerful hour, you can download this or share it with someone by going to occatholic.com. And under the radio tab at occatholic.com, you will find a number of different shows that we produce, including our flagship show, Orange County Catholic Radio. And you can download that link and be able to hear it anytime you would like. We have had a wonderful meditation for this last hour on the great gift of healing, the great gift of medical care, and how, as Catholics, we celebrate this and how important, therefore, the White Mass is. But at every Mass, we have the healing of Jesus Christ, the, the physician that has come to us. And so I ask you all, please pray for our medical professionals. 
Again, for Orange County Catholic Radio, I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will see you again next week. Catholic Radio because we need the voice of the church in the public forum. We live in a time that the secular voice dominates so thoroughly that we need to get that Catholic perspective out. Just as Fulton Sheen used radio and TV in the last century, we need to continue to use this means to announce the Catholic faith in the public forum. Bishop Robert Barron thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Here's Father Christopher Smith of the Cathedral Square Radio Show on a unique issue that our priests and deacons have to deal with during these times of pandemic. Speaking of preaching, preaching to people with masks on is really tough. Yes, yes. (laughs) Because, you know, if you really make an eye contact with the people, you can't see how they're reacting. No. And it's very tough. (laughs) I always look for the people who are nodding yes to what I'm saying. Right. (laughs) And I try not to look at the ones that don't have such a great look on their face. But nowadays, everybody has the The same same look. look. The same look. The same look. For more, please visit OCCatholic.com and click the radio tab. That's OCCatholic.com and click on the radio drop-down tab to find all the wonderful podcast content from the Diocese of Orange. Saturday mornings are a little brighter with host Rick Howick in Orange County Catholic Radio. Here's a soundbite with a recent guest, Dr. Louise Dunn from the New Hope Crisis Hotline. It's interesting, though, that even with people that tell us that they're atheists or agnostics, sometimes we ask them if they still want us to pray for them. How many people say, I can't hurt? So we still offer that. But uh, if the person makes it clear up front they don't want that, of course, we, we don't pressure anybody in any way. Check out OC Catholic Radio, Saturday mornings at 9 on Relevant Radio. Or come find the podcast at occatholic.com slash radio. That's occatholic.com slash radio. Thank you for listening to Spirit-Filled Radio. Have you ever heard of the word concupiscence? Well, either way, check out this tremendous word of wisdom from a young priest named Father Tim Donovan. Concupiscence is difficult. As we say, it was removed, our original sin is removed at our baptism, but concupiscence remains. It's kind of, I get frustrated with that sometimes. I'm like, Lord, I thought you would save us from these things, you know? But really, grace is, and virtue is in the battle, virtue is in the struggle. And so concupiscence in us is this, what the church defines it as, like this leaning, this, that we are more, probably have a more proclivity in us to do things that aren't good for us than to do the good. And so the good is a battle. It's an uphill thing. I always tell people that, like, water doesn't run uphill. Water runs downhill, and our humanity is going to go to the easy thing and so much of our sin is the easy thing that's what concupiscence is is this leaning towards like the easy way right rather than the the holy way which is uphill and grace draws water uphill for more great content check out spiritfilledradio.org spiritfilled radio is in partnership with the roman catholic diocese of orange in southern california spiritfilledradio.org